0: our calling together as a community is to make Jesus visible a god has come to rescue every one of us Uh, to deliver us from the places where we're stuck. We can't not deliver ourselves. And he's done that in order to set us on the right path so that we walk through life in a way that shows others who he is. For two months now, that's been our theme, which we've been considering week after week. If you're here for the first time, welcome. Uh, If you've just now joined us, uh, some of this uh, will depend on previous information, but I'll do my best to catch us up. The big idea is very simple. It is that the world needs men and women who've come to see Jesus and who've grown to follow him so they go out in the world to show him so that others can see what he's like through how they carry themselves. And we've taken this idea from the Apostle Paul, a man uh, who wrote a good deal of the New Testament. One of his letters to a church in a town called Ephesus uh, makes it very plain That the calling that each of us has is to live in a way that shows others what Jesus looks like. And this has been our theme. I want you to listen to it as I read. And here's what I'd like you to do. If you've been here for these months, as I read the words of Paul, the way he describes a life that makes Jesus visible, I want you to ask yourself, how am I doing at this? Because many of us will know It's awfully hard to walk in the way that God wants us. Can anyone else admit to that here this morning? Yes. Here's how Paul puts it in Ephesians 4. Lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience. The life that God has called us to is one that is characterized by humility. That is, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but rather having a humble estimate and letting other people stand out and have the position of honor. Uh, With gentleness, that is, not using all of the power and strength we have always for our own ends, but rather restraining our strength so that we can put another person in a place of, uh, in the central place so that they have what they need. Uh, With patience, suffering well, Awaiting, enduring, persevering, uh, bearing with others. How are you doing at each one of those? Uh, The list continues. Bearing with one another in love. Making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Peace. Uh, Bearing with means hanging in there even when that person is so difficult you want to get away. Love is kind, it is patient, it is gentle, it believes and trusts and hopes for the very best in the other. The unity that God has given is a gift that transcends all of the things which make us different. We want to divide, but here the call is to stay together knowing that God is gracious to all of us, even those we feel very distant from. The peace that God has given is the shalom of God, which unites us together like mortar brings bricks together, sinew bones, a child a family. How are you doing at every one of those? Uh, my guess is if you've been attending to Paul's challenge week after week, as I have, uh, you've not only seen what patience looks like, but you've seen how very impatient you can be. Has anyone else had that experience? Yeah, as, as we've learned about bearing with others and uh, I talked about how to be unbearable, maybe you felt that I was describing you to a T. Yes, did you feel that? Some of you did, one of you did. I was talking about myself. I'm not surprised more of you I felt close to that. Uh, The truth about every one of these challenges is that as soon as we begin to try to walk as God wants us to, we'll have to admit that in many ways, it is very difficult. Can I have someone join me in that? Yes? Yes, Yes, thank you. I was feeling very lonely. Uh, At our Connect group, where we sat together and discussed uh, these messages, Uh, on the very... uh, on the very evening when we discussed what it looks like to be gentle as God wants us to be gentle, there was a guy in our group who shared that on his way to church that morning, someone cut him off, was going to church. And so he raced up beside her and he showed her just one of his fingers. He admitted it. And then she got angry and they began racing back and forth and she got in front of him on the exit and then he followed her right into this very town and he followed her up close because he was angry and he saw her going into her church. And he thought, how could you drive like that going to church? And his (laughs) wife reminded him, you're going to church. (laughs) I began this series two months ago talking about Kathleen, who some of you knew really well. Kathleen was a woman who I brought before this congregation because of the way she made Jesus visible. I was at the graveside two months ago today. It was April 17th. And there as we buried her, I shared with everybody gathered around what an example she was of what it looks like to walk in the way that God wants us to, how she made Christ visible everywhere she went. And I told you two months ago that our calling as a church is to make Christ visible by the way we walk. Paul's guidance here is our uh, marching orders for how to live in a way that makes Jesus visible. On the way to that ceremony, I was at that little hitch in the road in Westfield. Do you know that one? Some of you know Westfield, that strange little elbow right in the center of town? And as I was waiting and wanting to get there on time, I thought I saw the light turn green and the person didn't move. I honked on my horn, not the beep, beep, it's time to go, but the eh, and I yelled, you are, I yelled, go you moron. I actually did that. And then I looked and I saw that it was red, but it was green for the turning lane. And I immediately started to pray, please don't let them be going to the same place I am. And they drove I followed them all the way to the graveyard. My heart was racing. They they, they didn't go, thankfully. But listen, <laughs> I, I share this to say for all of us, this calling that God has, which is a great calling, to make him visible, is going to be really hard to do. And I'm gonna just tell you why. It's because the problems for us aren't out there, they're right inside here. And I've done my best to give you good information. And inspiring stories and ideas and pictures of the paths to follow. And, and I can do the best that I can there. But what it really comes down to for you and for me is not out there. It's not just what you think. It's in your heart. And this is, is not my opinion. This is how it's always been. As God has always worked at making himself known with his people. What God wants with those people that he's brought to himself is for them to grow in such a way that they show him to others so that wherever he puts them, they'll be the ones who make him visible. And it's, it's like that for us here in Summit. And I promise you, that's exactly what it's like for every one of you here. If you're in middle school still, if you're going off to some college, if you're gonna be around here and then around here next year as a student, whoever you are, what God wants is for you to know him, to follow him, so that wherever you are, you make him visible. Okay, Uh, Here's a review. Some of you know the story of the Bible inside and out. Others of us don't, but some of you do. You will know that God sort of began to unfold this strategy of his when he first interacted with a man called Abram, who would then be called Abraham. God came to Abram, told him, I'm gonna make you... Uh, I'm going to make you the father of many. Look at the stars. That's how many children you're going to have. I'm going to protect you. You're going to leave where you are. And I'm going to put you in a new land. And when you're in that new land, you're going to thrive. And I will bless the whole world through you. Through your descendants, I'll bless all of the nations. Now listen, that's God's strategy. To put this man and his descendants in the the, the, the primest real estate available so that there in the midst of all of the world, they'll shine brightly and attract people to God. Uh, some of you who know geography, you know where Jerusalem is? Can't you tell when you envision it that it is perfectly situated in the ancient world to, to increase uh, visibility for all the world around Okay, to the south, there's the Sinai Peninsula where there's lots of resources which people in the north want. Over to the west, there's North Africa, same thing. In Egypt and in those regions, there are all kinds of resources from the Sinai Peninsula and Northern Africa. The only way to get them to Turkey and to Greece and and to Italy is to go right through Jerusalem. It's at the crossroads of the world. It's in the perfect place for everybody to see. And what God wanted is for his people And he didn't use this word back then, this language, but I'll use it now, to live a life that's worthy of the calling to which he'd called them so that others would see what God is like. And what God wants from you, wherever you are situated, and think about it now, where's the real estate that you occupy? Uh, And I mean metaphorically in your family, with your spouse or your children or with your parents or at work, or at school, wherever you find yourself, God has put you there, and what God wants is for you to walk in such a way that others look at you and they see what he's like. And listen, that will be the very best thing for them because what God wants is for everybody to come and see him, and it will not be a burden for you to walk in the way God wants is the best thing for you because it's what God made you to do. And when you feel inside empty and afraid, And confused about life and adrift, like you don't have a purpose, and filled with regret and shame, which I guarantee you at least half of you right now are feeling. It's because you haven't gone on the path that God wants you on. Look, uh, oh gosh, I'm imagining now. (laughs) I didn't read that stuff from Ephesians. I memorized that because I've been saying it every. So let's try this, all right? In the book of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel's going to teach us today, he reflects on. the failure of God's people to be accurate representatives where he's placed them. And, and, and he picks up a theme that's all over the Old Testament. In, e- if, in, e- in Ezekiel 5, verse 5, listen to how he describes the people of God. Awesome. Oh my gosh, they're pink and flowery. <laughs> Humility. <laughs> I owe you one. All right. Verse five, this is what Ezekiel says. This is what God says about Jerusalem, this is Jerusalem. I've set her in the center of the nations with countries all around her. <laughs> God's put his people in the best possible place so that they're surrounded by all kinds of people who are going to be looking at them and what they're gonna be asking is very simple. Is there anything to this this God of theirs? And it's what people are asking when they look at you. If people know you're a Christian, they're looking at you and they're saying, is there any truth to what they say they believe about God? And this is what happened with Israel. And by the way, this is a failure which isn't only noted in the book of Ezekiel, but all over The scriptures, the prophets repeatedly point out that the great failure of God's people wasn't that they did wrong and that upset God because he needed them to obey him just for his sake, but rather what they showed the nations in verse six. But she has rebelled against my ordinances and my statutes becoming more wicked than the nations and the countries all around her. Israel had been perfectly situated and yet they weren't only just as Wicked as the people around them, but even worse. And by the way, this is particular. There were specific things that Ezekiel observed about what they did that made him say this. The other communities around them worshiped idols. And that was a sad thing because it meant they were giving their hearts to something that wasn't worth it. But then Ezekiel saw the people of Israel going up into the mountains and building altars and sacrificing things to gods that were no gods in this superstitious way to try to, Uh, somehow secure themselves. Some of them even sacrificed their own children, literally. And when God saw that, he said, that's too bad because that's just not what I've made you for. Uh, They they desecrated the temple in every which way. They adopted all kinds of superstitions uh, that were characteristic of the Canaanites and the people that were not God's people, showing that they didn't really trust God. Uh, They were crooked in their business practices. Uh, They lied in court. The judges... And the lawyers took bribes and and justice was for sale. Instead of being true to the right way, God's people were crooked everywhere you looked. Here's a very, very simple, but I think a profound example. Those who were rich and powerful in Israel who should have used their power and riches to help those who were weak. Instead, they exploited those who were down and out to make themselves even more wealthy at the expense of those others. And you know, the neighbors saw it. And when they looked, they said, well, what kind of God must they have if this is how they behave? And this is where the God of Israel is so different than their neighbors. Listen to this. Their gods, the neighbor's gods, use their power for themselves and to enrich those who are willing to help themselves. The God of Israel, of of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was the one who used his power to help the orphan and the widow. That's who God is. The one who comes and he empties himself of his power and his might for those who've been forgotten and kicked aside. And so the way that that people were living in Jerusalem told a lie about who God was. They were poor representatives. And here, for you, and for me let, me, let me say, for me, when I'm at the stoplight, beeping my horn, calling the person in front of me a moron, I am a bad representative of God. I do not show what he looks like. And I do not show my family what he looks like when I'm not patient like he calls me to be. I do not show my coworkers what he looks like when I'm not humble as God's called me to be. I do not show my neighbors and the people around me what he looks like when I don't bear with the people around me in the way that I'm supposed to. And if you're like me, now you have a few more reasons to feel down about yourself. And the truth about us is we don't need more information to get it right. We don't need to try harder than we've already tried. And I'm telling you this, I know some of you have tried so hard and that's not gonna solve the problem. In order to get on the right path, the one that God invites us on, what needs to happen is is the real problem needs to be addressed, not all the symptoms. And the problem for God's people back then, which is just the same, by the way, as the problem for God's people right now is not external, it's internal. Uh, Ezekiel Um, draws upon an image that the prophets were really comfortable using. He's not the only one who points out that Israel's problem is internal rather than external. We hear it in the Psalms. We hear it from Jeremiah. In Ezekiel 16 verse 30, he addresses the real problem by asking this question. How sick is your heart, says the Lord, that you did all these things? Their problem is they have a sick heart. And now you're thinking, I came to church on Father's Day and the pastor told me that I have a sick heart? Yes. I have it too. And maybe it will sound better if I put it like this. I keep stumbling and falling down because I have an ailment in my heart. Doesn't that sound a little better? There's something in there that seems like it's constantly going wrong and I can't fix it. It's like I need to find a physician who's capable in a way that I'm not now and never will be, to perform some kind of procedure that I can't perform on myself. And even if the preacher's really good, he can't perform it on me. And even if the church that I go to is perfect in every way, it can't make me well in the way that I know I ought to be well. I need to be fixed from the inside out. Would you? Would some of you acknowledge experience, that experience right now? Is the truth about Everyone who's in here, even if you don't have any faith or if you have all the faith in the world, is that what you need to begin with and over and over again is an internal operation that changes you from the inside out so that, listen now, so that you can have the life God wants you to and this is critical. If you miss this, you've missed everything so that you can walk through life in a way that you show others what Jesus looks like so that you can make him visible. Let's dwell on this image of a heart for a minute. And to help, this, to help us along here, we've got this. That's a heart. See that? There it is. For us, when we use heart metaphorically, we almost always mean basically one thing, our emotions. But in the ancient world, the image of the heart was far richer than our language Uh, far richer than the way we employ it in our language Um, a cursory glance at some of the metaphors which appear in the old literature make it plain that heart was a much more flexible image in, in their writing big hearted was a phrase that appears in ancient Egyptian and Ugaritic and in Mesopotamian to be big hearted means you show concern pity and mercy for others often that's big hearted uh, if you are hard to influence, and very uh, discreet, you are described as someone who swallows her heart. Gross, but but much richer than just our feelings, uh, self control is achieved by keeping one's heart in one's hand. Bravery is stout-hearted. Trust is open-hearted. You can see the variety uh, with which the ancient mind conceived of the heart, and really the roots of this are in the fact that then we have a pre-scientific anthropology, uh, and so they didn't have an awareness like we do of how cognitive function, uh, of how other um, aspects of our personality are rooted in other uh, places physiologically. But in order to hear Ezekiel's diagnosis and his solution to our problem, we have to understand the breadth of this image, okay? So let's spend some time here. First, of course, heart does equal feelings in the ancient world, it does. Uh, your heart is the river from which your emotions flow. It's where jealousy and rage and gratitude and and uh, happiness and joy, they all come right out of your heart. It's where you experience anger and where uh, those feelings that make you want to celebrate come from. It's where... Affection and love, uh, where they come from. The butterflies that you feel when you see her or him. That's your heart. In the ancient world, the heart is the place from which your emotions arise. It is that. It's not less than that. It's more, but it is that. So think for a moment of that diagnosis. There's some ailment in your heart. Have you felt emotionally sick? That's the first. Now, here's where there's a great departure. When Ezekiel it diagnoses the problem as a heart problem. He also means your mind. And that's not a cloud and that's not a lightning bolt. That's, you got it? That's the brains. And the seat of the intellect in the ancient world was believed to reside in your heart. A cognition, planning, attention, and wisdom, they all resided in the heart. Uh, We know this because when someone was foolish and didn't know right from wrong, they were described as heartless. Okay, like we might use the word brainless. Heartless then means you can't think clearly and that's the second way this image functions. It is the heart in which your intellect resides. So now consider to say your heart is sick, it, it implies something about your feelings as well as your thinking. Haven't you found your thought patterns also to be ill? Yeah. Uh, There's a third uh, area indicated by this image in the ancient world and that is uh, your will, the locust of your action, like your arms and your hands and your feet. They also grow very directly out of the center of your ethical uh, uh, volition. Every individual um, was either ethically competent or not depending on the state of their heart. The heart was that uh, source within you that after thinking things through and considering the feelings was then either going to engage in action in this direction or that it was the center of your will also that resided in your heart. If you put all three of them together, you see that it would be hard for Ezekiel to choose a broader metaphor to to point to our problem. Uh, To say that you keep stumbling because your heart is sick is to say, that your feelings inside are all mixed up. Your thinking is out of order. It doesn't make sense. You've constantly given your mind over to the wrong ideas. And your will, even if you have the right thoughts and feelings, your will is still going to lead you down the wrong path because your heart is not as it should be. Does anyone in here resonate with that? Of course, of course we all do because we're all people who are doing the best that we can. But as long as we try to manage things externally, we will always only find ourselves falling far short. We will always only find ourselves looking at this person in the mirror and just being disappointed. At trying our best to walk worthy of our calling and not making very much progress at all. Some of us who've been here week after week, we've been at it for two months, haven't we? Does it seem like a long time? It is nothing. And I mean that. I'm not going to go indefinitely on this series, okay? I've run out of good ideas. <laughs> but this is a lifetime endeavor before us. And I want you to understand it is worth it, 100%. It is the calling that God has for us as individuals and as a church. To work, and and in Paul's language, to make every effort at walking worthy of this calling. It's the very best thing we can apply ourselves to because, in that way, we will fulfill the great calling that God has given us, which is to be men and women, listen now, who've come to see by God's grace that we have been delivered. Thank God. That we don't have to be anxious or fighting any longer to make ourselves okay to God. We're okay with him because he loved us so much that he sent in his son himself into the world to die in our place. Thank goodness. We've been rescued and delivered from every dead end, from every prison. The chains have been broken. The past has been wiped away. There's nothing to regret or be ashamed of any longer because in Christ we're made brand new. And so we are given to know that. And now, now to look at the real estate on which God has placed us as an opportunity to make him known but listen now, as long as our hearts are sick, we will never get anywhere. But here, the God who has invited us in this knowledge of his to make him known has looked upon his people and he has not only diagnosed the problem, but through the prophet Ezekiel has made the one and only promise that will save us. And this is in verse 26 of chapter 36 of Ezekiel. Listen to these beautiful words. This is God's word to them and to you. A new heart I will give you. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That is the promise of God to a group of people who by their own way of being in the world has so sullied themselves that they look like individuals that are covered with filth. Their garments are stained with stains they could never remove. You can read this on your own earlier in Ezekiel 36. God looks at them and says, you're stained with a stain that's impossible to get out. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to gather you together and I will sprinkle you with clean water so that externally you're perfectly clean. And then God knows that the outside isn't enough. So he says, I'm I'm going to give you a new spirit and the spirit he's going to give is his own presence dwelling within you. If you've never heard this before, those who trust Jesus are men and women who should expect that God has come to take up residence inside of their very being. Where? In their heart. And that's God's promise. If you've never heard that before, open your heart to that. Trust God and now be ready. He's gentle. He's a very gentle uh, indwelling presence. But there he wants to be and in order to make that home a place that is proficient for him, what he needs and what he promises here is to take out the old, stony dwelling with no space for him and to replace it with a new fleshly heart that is perfect for him to reside in so there inside of you he can and and he'll go on to say this in Ezekiel he can cause you to follow the statutes and the ways of the Lord so that the ordinance of God are the ones in which you walk and then when he puts you wherever he puts you you will make him visible because you have a new heart that's God's promise to you it's good isn't it so how do you get this heart Every pastor who believes he is called by God to stand before people like I stand before you, everyone who speaks for God, every pastor who who trusts that God has called her to be the shepherd for a gathering of people together will have it in her heart, in his heart, to want more than anything else to be able to change the hearts of the people that stand before him. And that's what I wish I could do more than anything. Nothing For me professionally, do I want more than than to be able to change your hearts? But I can't do it. And I know it. I so wish I could. When I sit with someone whose heart is still breaking because they keep falling off the path, a part of me says, oh, if only I could change their heart, but I can't. And when I think about my sermons, I think, could I do anything that would be so inspiring and moving that it would be this kind of internal transformation for them? And as I daydream about that, it always comes back, you can't do it, Christian, I can't. And you can't give yourself a heart transplant either. And that's why Ezekiel chose such a powerful and and striking metaphor because no one can give himself or herself a heart transplant. The only way it happens back then, and and I know that nowadays we've got there, but back then, to hear that they would get a new heart would only happen if there was a divine miracle. That's the only way it could happen. If God himself would make something happen that can't happen in any other way. And here, I'm thrown back upon this fact that what I want most is for your hearts to be changed on the inside so we become the kind of church that shows what Jesus is like in the world around us. I can't make it happen, only God can. And so what I want you to do is this, ask God to change your heart. Only he can do it. Now I've got some guidance for how to ask. And that's what I want to close with. I want to do my best to set you up for success here by teaching you as much as I can how to ask God truly for what only he can give. So here it is. The first thing that I can tell you is you must learn to ask sincerely. And by that I mean... The many ways in which you pretend you're someone other than you are when you go into the world and ask for things, leave that behind and without any mask or without any pretense at all, without any image management, you come to God in your heart and say, here's exactly who I am. I'm done pretending. I don't need to hide anything about myself To you, it's just really me. With all of the ugly things that you wish weren't there, you have to uncover them completely before Him. When you ask for this new heart, come and don't try to hide who you are anymore. This is confession. You have to confess who you really are. It's like when you go to the doctor, you don't make any progress by hiding the symptoms that made you go there, right? That wouldn't be good. To say, well, a doctor, I stubbed my toe when you've got a broken arm and try to hide that. You have to ask sincerely, that's the first thing. The second thing is you have to ask willingly. And by that I mean, you will want to remain in control over certain parts of your heart, your thinking, your feeling, your willing. But if you're gonna ask God for a new heart, you have to be willing to let it all go. And, and relinquish control completely. You have to be willing for this physician to say, when I give you this new heart, you're not gonna go in that direction anymore. You're done with it. Now you're gonna go off in another direction. That's what repentance is, going in a new direction. And by the way, if you say, well, I've had faith before. I've got the new life. I've trusted Christ. You need to ask again because our hearts are constantly reverting back to their old stony selves, yes? And so you have to ask willingly. If say, God, I need the new heart And whenever you're gonna tell me which direction I'm gonna go, I'm going in that direction. Even if my mind tells me it's the wrong one, I'm gonna trust your new gift of this new way of thinking, this new heart. You have to not only ask sincerely and willingly, you have to ask completely. And and this may sound like a repeat, but it's worth emphasizing. When you get down on the operating table, there's a reason why they give you anesthesia, it's because they know you're probably gonna want to remain in control a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like grab the scalp, oh wait, actually not that part. I want to keep that part. But you can't do that on the operating table or with God. It is a full and total surrender that is a necessary step in receiving the new heart that God wants for you. And listen now, you should let go of your old heart and get the new one that he gives no matter what you have to let go of, it will be better for you to let go of it. I absolutely promise you, and not just for you, please understand this, and this is the big point, but for you and the people around you who need you to make Christ visible, and you can only do that when God performs this operation on you, when you've sincerely and willingly and completely asked for it, and then listen, here's the fourth thing, you must ask purely as well, and by that I mean your motive must be pure, because someone in here is thinking, oh, this sounds like a good policy, If I have God on my side, maybe I can get everything that's coming to me and I'll ask, I'll get the new heart and then I'll enjoy myself until the moment before I die. Do you know that people do that? That doesn't work. It doesn't. In fact, in Ezekiel's description of God's promise in Ezekiel 36, to give the new heart, twice he says, it's not for your sake that I'm doing this, O Israel, but for my name's sake. He says it before and after the promise which I read to you, which is to make them very... Uh, clear in understanding that God's gonna perform this transformation, first of all, for the sake of his name, so that it's lifted and people have accurate information about it instead of a bunch of lies about it. So when people look at you, they see God and the truth rather than a lie. And so your motives must be pure. But let me tell you, there's no better purpose for life, none, than giving your heart to God and then becoming the instrument that he chooses to use exactly where he's placed you. Wherever you are, in Summit, whichever town you live in, whichever family you're in, in this community of faith, if this is your church, you settle here. What God has for you is to use everything he's given you willingly to go where he, he's leading you. Here's the fifth one. It's the last. You're gonna ask together. And, and this is critical. Uh, the invitation to this new life that God gave through Ezekiel to the people of Israel was for a people, a gathering of people, not an individual, and it is a, a, a drastic and I would say an impossible reduction of God's promises to his people when they're turned into just promises for one person all alone. That's not how God operates. Instead, he's knit us together and united us as we described uh, last week with this bond of peace. And so you don't need to go at this alone and you can't. Instead, you should come to God and ask together with others around you that he would give you this new heart that you need. Uh, And then you should endeavor to walk in the way that he has for you together with others. And by the way, that's what we're doing here on Sunday. We're gathering together to sing and to pray uh, when we do to share in the Lord's Supper and to listen to God's word and grow in our minds together so that all of us are constantly on the operating table where God is renewing us from the inside out. And you should be here every week to do that, to grow together together. If you'll ask in these ways, then look, this is the best I can tell you. The the miraculous promise of God is for every one of us that we could ask and receive the internal transformation that we need to be his people is the invitation that is before you and for me. If you've never done that before, you're invited. If you've done it this morning and your heart is rocky again, ask again. And in that way, we will become God's people who make him visible. Let's, would you join me now and ask God to help us grow in this way? Let's pray. God, we need you uh, to change us from the inside out so that we become the people who make you visible. We thank you for the clarity with which you spoke through the prophet Ezekiel, uh, diagnosing that problem for those folks then, which is our problem now, that our hearts have an ailment which we are incapable of curing, What we need is for your spirit to come and heal us on the inside, removing the heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. God, as I've shared, some of us have felt your spirit moving inside us. Whatever it is that holds any person in here back from asking, willingly, sincerely, completely, Uh, asking purely and together, take that away and help our hearts be open so we can ask you to burn like a fire in us, not for our sake first, but for the sake of the world. God, would you do that now in the power of your spirit, even now as we continue in worship, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.